Now, I haven't got much voice this morning, so we all need to do a bit of work. Um, so the first thing, um, here are six unpleasant tasks, and you have to put them in order. Talk to the person next to you. Put them in order with the most unpleasant up at the top, least unpleasant at the bottom. Okay, so cleaning the bathroom, writing thank you letters, putting the bins out, uh, paying taxes, speaking in public, and sorting socks into pairs. Um, so quickly sort of work out most unpleasant at the top, least unpleasant at the bottom, have a chat to the person next to you. Okay, right, I'm not going to do a... I'm not going to do a hands up, um, but it's interesting really. Um, It's possible you found that a slightly challenging task uh, because there are quite few things in there that are unpleasant and actually you don't enjoy doing. I'd be surprised if paying taxes was right at the bottom for everybody um, as, uh, you know, you really love doing it really because I'm surprised, I'd be surprised if anyone here loved paying taxes. Uh, we put up with them because we know, like death, they are, as the saying goes, inescapable. But um, uh, I should think that few of us leap for joy when we see the tax come out of our salary slips at the end of the month or when we have to pay our tax for the year at the end of January. Sorry for the reminder. Um, All of which, this kind of reality of the unpleasantness of paying taxes, makes one of the things that the Apostle Paul says in our reading from 2 Corinthians that Steve just gave us, rather strange indeed. Did you hear those words in verse 7, where he says, God loves a cheerful giver. I remember when I first heard that 20 years ago, thinking that seems entirely unrealistic. The idea of cheerfulness and giving money away seem completely incongruous. Uh, You know, Paul may well have said, God loves a cheerful taxpayer. You know, that doesn't exist. Well, he might, but we don't. So what's going on here? What's behind this phrase, God loves a cheerful giver? Is it just unrealistic, as unrealistic as saying God loves a cheerful taxpayer? Well, I want us to show us today that that phrase does make sense, but it only makes sense if we step back and look at what Paul is saying in its widest context. Because on its own, it is a phrase that is bald and unconvincing, I think. But in context, it makes all the sense in the world. In fact, it takes us to what the good news of Christianity really is all about. So what's what we're going to do this morning? We're going to kind of zoom out from that one particular phrase, and we're going to look at the big picture of what the Apostle Paul is getting at in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Because although the Apostle Paul is speaking about their financial giving, to the Corinthians. He's putting that kind of story within a much bigger story, a story of God and his grace and his gift to the world. And in fact, I'm going to argue uh, that if we get that kind of story right, that helps put other things in perspective. I actually think what Paul is describing is a kind of, not just a story of grace, but actually a cycle of grace in the world in which kind of all our living and our giving should take place. I hope that grace is kind of what fires us as a church this year. You'll remember that on Vision Sunday two weeks ago, I spoke about the way in which I hope grace is going to be our kind of motto for the year. Yes, it's about Vision Sunday. Yes, it's about life to the full. Yes, it's about our uh, review of our giving in in preparation for Commitment Sunday next uh, Sunday. But most of all, I hope our story as a church is a story of grace. And if you're here this morning for the first time, I really hope the messages I give today about giving just kind of wash over you. But I hope the messages I give you today about grace really hit home and actually make you want to explore more. So what we're going to do is this. If you open your Bibles, there are Bibles in the seats just in front of you. We're going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's on page 1163. 
And we're going to take three steps that are on the batting order that you can see, uh, which is in your news sheets. First of all, we're going to try and understand what I describe as a cycle of grace. Then we're going to look at how we enter this cycle of grace. And third, we're going to explore what it is to live in a cycle of grace. And before we finish, I'm going to, uh, we're going to hear a story from somebody in our uh, congregation who is uh, somewhere in that journey himself. Okay, so first of all, understanding the cycle of grace. So my reading of this passage, what's going on in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, is that the Apostle Paul is encouraging his readers to live and give within a cycle of grace. But in order to do that, we need to understand kind of what was the background into which Paul was speaking, yeah? Okay, a bit of background. Paul was writing these words about in about 55 AD to the Greek city of Corinth. Now, Corinth was the Shanghai of its day. It was glossy, it was brash, it was teeming with people who got rich quick. In fact, many of its population were former slaves who had either bought or been given their freedom. And they had made money from the huge amount of trade that passed through Corinth and its two uh, harbours. And new buildings were being built all the time, uh, often just to show off how much money the owner had. Now, Paul knew the city well. He'd lived there for 18 months, uh, working as a lowly tent maker while establishing the church. And so he knew what made the people of Corinth tick. He, uh, and from elsewhere in the Corinthian letters, we have two letters that he wrote to the church in Corinth, more than to any other church in the ancient world. We can kind of get quite a few clues about the way that the city of Corinth worked. And I want to describe the way that the city of Corinth worked by using another cycle, not a cycle of grace, but I'm going to call it a cycle of self. This is what I think the city of Corinth was all about. First of all, it was about entitlement. A strong sense that people in Corinth would say, what I have, I've worked for. Um, People had worked hard to climb the social ladder in Corinth, and there was a strong sense of they deserved to be where they were. That's what made the church so susceptible to boasting because there's a sense, I've, you know, what I've got, I've achieved. Yeah, That led it or fed into a sense of a desire to keep what they had, a desire to guard what they had, and therefore they didn't like giving it away because they thought, well, I've worked for it, therefore I want to keep it. That's why Paul had to kind of challenge them about giving because they were nowhere near as jealous as the Macedo- as generous as the Macedonians who gave what they didn't have. The Corinthians didn't even give what they did. Yeah, so this kind of entitlement led to a desire to keep it. Thirdly, it led to a, a want, a sense of desiring more. There was a strong competitive and comparative streak in Corinth, a kind of lot of looking at your neighbour, working out where you were on the pecking order, and there was always somebody above you. So you always wanted more, and you wanted a bigger house, or more glossy marble, or a nicer statue. Uh, And this sense that, therefore, people were very dissatisfied in Corinth and aspirational. They wanted more. And that fed through to hard work and more effort. So people worked harder. It was a flourishing economy in Corinth in the middle of the first century. And, uh, therefore, they worked harder in order to get more. And, of course, that fed through, back to the top, a sense of entitlement. Because the more they worked, the more they got, the more they felt they deserved but it was a vicious cycle, what I call a cycle of self. Why do I call it a cycle of self? Well, actually, it was all about the individual. Yes, there may have been a kind of family unit that was part of the kind of aspirational mindset, 
But the focus was a narrow one. It wasn't on, on others, it was a focus on self. It's what I've worked for, what I need to guard, what I need more of, what I need to do to get more. That was the default mindset in Corinth in the middle of the first century. I just wonder, in passing, whether it rings any bells at all. That's the context that Paul knew really well. He'd lived there for 18 months, okay? And I think what he's trying to do in these verses from 2 Corinthians 9 is describe another cycle in which he wants those Corinthian believers to live. I think it's a cycle not of self, but a cycle of grace. And this is how that cycle of grace works, uh, using words from our passage today. First of all, it starts with a sense of receiving. Paul wants the Corinthian believers not to have a sense of what they've achieved, but what they've received. So the theme throughout these Corinthian letters is what they have received in Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago on Vision Sunday, we looked at that verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You know, he says, you know, just remember the grace of God, the gift of Jesus Christ, who was glorious in majesty, he became nothing for you. And how does he end our chapter today? On this kind of glorious note of triumph in verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What's that indescribable gift? It's Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. That is the indescribable gift. Paul wants those early believers to be overwhelmed with what they have received, which is Jesus Christ. Secondly, that receiving, Paul says, should lead to sharing. In verse 11, we read, You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. We'll explore that first bit in a moment, but the thing I want to notice is that Paul believes that if the Corinthians have received something, they're going to want to share it. So receiving leads to sharing. Thirdly, sharing leads to blessing. Paul believes that when the Corinthians receive, share, add, they then bless other people and God is praised. Verse 12, look with me. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. And then on in verse 13, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God. There's to be this cycle by which the Corinthians receive, they share, other people are blessed, God is blessed, and then finally they are open to receive more. Again, to finish off verse 13, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And therefore, back to verse 8 in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Paul seems to be saying that as you give more, so you'll also be in a position to receive more. All the riches of Christ pour out. And that develops a cycle. As you receive more, so you'll have a sense of having received, you'll want to share, you'll see other people blessed, you'll be open to receive, and it will be a cycle that keeps going. That's the cycle in which Paul says the early Corinthian believers are to live. It's not about the self, it is all about God and his generosity. It's about receiving from God all his grace in Jesus Christ and seeing everything as a gift from him. 
It's about sharing God's generosity with others. It's about blessing others and praising God. And it's about being open to receive more from God. That's the story in which Paul wants the Corinthians to live. That's the the story he wants them to grasp. Not a cycle of self. It's not a story of getting, keeping, wanting and working. But a story of receiving, sharing, blessing and being open to receive. Which story do we want to live in? The story I want to hold out to you this morning is the story on the screen behind me. It's the cycle of grace. Why do I want to do that? Is it because we've got a bit of a financial challenge as a church and I think that's a good way of raising money? No. We do have a financial challenge as a church and I hope we're going to reach out faithfully next week on Commitment Sunday. But that's not the reason I'm sharing it with you this morning. The reason I'm sharing this cycle with you this morning is twofold. Number one, because it actually reminds us what the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ is all about. And I want to suggest it's the only good response to that good news. That's number one, it's about Jesus and his death. And the second reason is because this is a better way to live. This is the better way to live. This is the reason we were made to live. And I'm going to share both of those things a little moment as we think about how we enter this cycle of grace and how we live in this cycle of grace. So first of all, how do we enter this cycle of grace? Because you might be thinking this morning, well, this all sounds fine and dandy, Philip, but I mean, I've no idea how this is going to happen for me. You know, it's just look words on a sheet, words on a page. What needs to change in order for us to live in this way? Well, I think what needs to change is not our bank balances, but our hearts. Not our bank balances, but our hearts. It's not the question we need to wait around for oodles of spare cash to lie around in our bank accounts before we can start going on a cycle of grace. We need to examine our hearts, rather, and ask ourselves this one simple question. How thankful am I for God's generosity to me in Jesus Christ? How thankful am I to God for his generosity to me in Jesus Christ? Because that's where it all flows from. Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The question we can ask this morning, how thankful am I? Can you say these words with me? Are you able to say, I realise I am a sinner, that I have turned away from God and his ways, that I have loved other things more than I love God. But I know that God has not judged me as I deserve. Instead, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to take on me, on himself, my human form and my human sin and take that all the way to the cross. And there on the cross, he suffered the punishment I deserve so that I can come back into a relationship with God as a God who cares for me, loves me, welcomes me and will always keep me. And that was something I didn't achieve. It isn't something I deserved. It isn't something I earned. I wasn't terribly, terribly good. But rather, while I was terribly bad, God loved me. Are you aware of just how generous God has been to you in Jesus Christ? If you're not aware, if you've never heard that message before, I'd encourage you to explore what it means because the great news is there is a gift for each one of us that just needs to be unwrapped. A gift more wonderful than we've ever imagined. That the God who created the world did not put up with us turning away from him, but came to find us. 
so that we could come back into relationship with him. And that's not something we earned. It's something we can receive. And if you've recognized how generous God has been to you in Jesus Christ, has that begun to open up your heart so that you see that everything you have from God is not something you've worked for, but something he's given you? I think that's one of the things that happens. When we see God's gift to us in Jesus, we begin to see his gifts everywhere. We begin to see that, yes, I've worked hard for my exams to get the job I'm now in, but my skills are themselves a gift from God. Yes, I put the hours in to get the salary, but it's God who strengthens me. Everything that we have, we see not as an achievement, but as a gift. If we start recognizing God's generosity to us in Jesus... And once you start seeing everything you have as a gift, it's a darn sight easier to share it. If you think you've earned for it, you want to keep it. But once you recognize that what you have is a gift of God, patterned on the gift of God in Jesus Christ, that's something you're able to share. You might be thinking to me this morning, well, that's all very well, Philip, but I don't think God has been very generous to me. I'm struggling to pay my mortgage. I can't do the stuff my next-door neighbor can. I've got the future to worry about. I certainly haven't got anything spare to share. I thought I want to say to you this morning, God has been generous to you in Jesus Christ. He sent you Jesus to die on the cross when you did not deserve it. He's given you more than you can ever describe. And I think once you kind of open your hearts to actually kind of what God has given you in Jesus, I think that helps you realize not what you haven't got, but what you have. And not what you can't share, but what you can. And I think it changes your heart. The way into this cycle of grace is not through our bank balance, but through our hearts. And working out how thankful are we to God for his generosity to us in Jesus Christ. So what's it look like to live in a cycle of grace? What's it mean to kind of live in the middle of all this? I think it's about those kind of third and fourth stages, the blessing and the being open. I think this has a blessing others, the way that our cycle of grace kind of we receive, we share, and therefore we see how others are blessed. I think the great thing about living in a cycle of grace is it connects us with other people. Because a cycle of self, I think, divides us from other people because we're competitive with other people, we resent what other people have and what we don't have. When you live in a cycle of grace and you bless others, that connects you with people and with what God is doing. And it increases our love for people when we're blessing them. And our sense of walking with them. Annabelle and I support the Winchcombe family in the Middle East, personally, as well as through our church. And we just love the idea that we're able to bless them. And through them, they are faithful to God in the Middle East. And God is praised. And we're just kind of caught up in that kind of web of blessing. We've received, we're sharing, we're seeing people blessed. And it connects us with people in a really powerful way. I know there's many people here who can share stories exactly like that. Because the cycle of self kind of puts up barriers. We work hard for ourselves, we guard what we have, and it can also lead to huge levels of anxiety about what we worry about and great frustration when we don't have as much as others. And my experience of living in a cycle of grace is it it, it, it makes me much less frustrated, much less anxious. I feel more of a team who's doing part of doing God's work. I know my gift is making a difference. And as somebody who's naturally quite anxious about money, as I am, because I've never had very much of it, 
I found that living in this cycle has taken me out of an anxiety-frustration loop and into a thankfulness-blessing loop. Just being aware of what I can share, what I have received. The other benefit, of seems to me, of living in a cycle of grace is it means that we're more open to live in a way where we're ready to receive blessing from God. Uh, in our passage from, from verse 10, Paul says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Let's be really clear what Paul does and doesn't mean here. He is not meaning that the more money we give away, the more money we will get. I don't think that's kind of A plus B equals C. That's the so-called prosperity gospel, where God wants us to be healthy and wealthy, and that's not biblical. It's not what Paul is saying here. It's not what he taught elsewhere. It's not what he lived or experienced either. What Paul is saying is that when we live in a cycle of grace, receiving sharing, blessing, we naturally open ourselves up to recognise and receive more blessing from God. Now that blessing might come in all sorts of ways. It may be spiritual, it may be relational, it may be financial. But what it will be, is it will be something that we can share with others, not keep to ourselves. Uh, For me, I, I think of it like this. A closed hand is a hand that can neither receive nor give. It's clenched. An open hand is a hand that can both receive from God and give. So it's something where we give with an open hand and that hand is also able to receive. And I think that Paul is saying that in a cycle of grace we live with an open hand to God where we'll be able to receive from him as well as give. So I hope we're kind of seeing this morning what it is to kind of live in a cycle of grace. It is very different to, I think, the culture in which we live. A culture which tells us that we deserve what we have, we should guard it from others nicking it, we need more stuff, and we need to work harder to get it. Does any of that make us any happier? I don't think it does. I want us to know that living in a cycle of grace is actually so much better for us. It's the way we're created to live in relationship with the God who gives and the people through whom we're able to share. Anyway, that's my story. I want us to hear another story. Um, Phil Ferreira Lay shared at uh, our vision meeting on Sunday about, on, on Monday, a little bit about this. And as I was writing the sermon this week, I thought, well, I found what Phil said really helpful. So he's agreed just to kind of answer a few questions for me this morning. Phil, thank you ever so much. Um, Phil's a member of this church for a number of years. And uh, he's very kindly there, going, my lovely. Um, so, um, take us back to how things kind of started for you, Phil. How did you used to kind of view giving and the resources that you had? What was that like for you? Um, I think in my 20s and 30s, um, I was very caught up in self. I really relate to this idea about entitlement and keeping. I spent a lot of my 20s and 30s sort of rooting my identity in actually my professional training and not really seeing God. And, and that got reflected in terms of how I used to view giving. So I, would, I wouldn't really think twice about it. I would just give spare change, money at the back of a sofa. I had no mechanism of sort of really 
reflecting on what I'd received from God because I wasn't recognizing that very much and therefore how I was going to respond to it. Um, and, and, and that over time has started to change. So tell us about that journey. How did that change and what did grace kind of, what role did grace play within that, Phil? Um, I think really, in the, it's really been in the last five years or so where I've just become more conscious of the many ways in which I have received love, care from God and from, you know, us as a community, for example. And, and it, and it was, Amplified really through conversations that I would have with people. So, for example, talking to Jane, my wife, um, speaking with Philip, speaking with friends in the church. I realized that actually I had to find more of a sort of intentional, planned way of responding in thankfulness to God's grace in my life. And hence then sort of some serious thinking about how my giving, in this sense, in a financial way, as a way of responding, needed to be more at the centre of my thinking and how was I literally going to do that. So give us a bit of an insight, if you're great kind. <laughs> give us, how does that work for you, Phil? Well, I'll give an example. I mean, uh, you know, I've been very fortunate quite recently to get, you know, a, a pretty good promotion at work. Um, and with that, you know, some money that goes with it. And, and I started reflecting on, well, actually, what does 10% look like? Because at times... I would get very confused, for example, about what does that look like and, and talking about it with, with family, with Philip, with other people. Actually, I started to think that more so that I need to dedicate money because doing God's work does not come for free. I need to prioritize giving money as a way of enabling all of that to happen so that all of us can continue to receive God's love through you know, church, for example, through our outward giving. And so actually it's, it's gone higher in my agenda. It's by no means sort of, you know, I'm there and the journey is completed, but um, it's, it's definitely moved on several steps. Okay, so how, does, how do you feel, you've talked about a growth in giving that you've experienced in response to God's grace, and you kind of used a bit of a tithe as a kind of example of that, as I spoke about on Vision Sunday. How has that kind of impacted your hearts or how has that impacted your relationships with God and others, Phil? Um, I, I think it's, it has made some pretty significant changes. I mean, I, I really relate to this idea about, you know, the cycle of self, about keeping and entitlement. You know, if you were to ask my wife, my wife's not here today, she would sort of say that actually... You know, I used to be pretty tight in all senses of the word. Very, very sort of centered around what I got, what I deserved, what I felt I wanted from other people. A sort of attitude of not really trusting people very much. Of sort of thinking, actually being very suspicious of other people. Um, And actually over the past five years or so, I think you know, that that's begun to loosen up. And part of that has been through increasing awareness of what I've received from God and from his people, but actually through the responses that I've made, either financially or co- or contributing in other ways in, in church, you know, pathfinders, um, you know, men's breakfast, whatever it may be. So actually I've, I can feel that that sort of attitude, very closed-handed, very 
tight-fisted has actually started to shift. Thank you ever so much, but we really appreciate that. I think we may be witnessing a cheerful giver here. So um, uh, thank you ever so much, but we really appreciate it, <laughs> which is very exciting, really. I mean, I've seen that change in Phil over five years here, and uh, I suppose I just want to say, uh, hopefully that's just an example about a cheerful giver is not a, is not a kind of, it's not a fantasy of Paul. And I'll tell you why it's not a fantasy, because the grace of God isn't a fantasy. The grace of God isn't a make-believe nice story. It's there in flesh and blood on the cross as we see Jesus pouring out his life for us. And if the grace of God is real, then living in a cycle of grace can be real too. And I want to say it's the reason we were made. To be in relationship with the God who made us and relationship with God's creatures. I said as on Vision Sunday, when we review our own giving, please don't let's get too anxious about numbers. Let's focus on what we've received from God and explore what it means for us to live in a cycle of grace where we're so conscious of what we receive, where we're happy to share, where we see others being blessed, and where we're open to receive from God. God loves a cheerful giver, and he loves a heart that is transformed by his grace. Let me pray.